Every epic story needs an epic soundtrack, an epic score. Uh, I want to see if you recognize some of these epic soundtracks, what stories they go with. Here's the first one. Star Wars. If you're over 50, that was a movie several years ago that came out in the 70s, I think. Here's the next, here's another one. Several Indiana Jones movies. Raiders of the Lost Ark. Here's another one. Superman. Superman. And finally, one more for extra credit, just because I like these. One more for extra credit. four years you hear that theme here's here's really super duper extra credit does anybody know the composer of all of those pieces john williams john williams good you get the prize give somebody give that girl a cigar turn to acts chapter two we're going to look today at this story from peter at pentecost i wonder in light of those epic soundtracks what the soundtrack of your life would be like you were to describe it today. It looked more like uh, it's been a hard day's night or tell me something good or somewhere in between there. I wonder, wonder what the soundtrack of your life looks like because others are seeing it and reading it and hearing it, whether you realize it or not. And I want you to hear this story today from Peter. I believe the soundtrack of his life was the hope of the gospel and the resurrected Christ. I want you to get that today from this, from this text. Uh, Acts chapter 2, picking up at verse 22 and reading down through verse 28 together. People of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge on him. David set up the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. 
David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will also rest in hope. Because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Well, four things I want us to glean today from this text. The first of which is this, that uh, Peter's story was one of credibility. It was a story of credibility. Look at verse 22. uh, People of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you. Accredited by God to you. Occasionally, I'm asked to to be a reference for someone's job application. They can list me as a reference. And I believe that's so, at least I've been told that's so, because a pastor's reference, a pastor usually sees somebody at their best and their worst and can give a usually fairly accurate view of that person's capability in, in, in a given situation. And that's, I try and be as honest as I can when people use me as a reference uh, because I know that's what po- folks are seeking and looking for when, 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 asked, when I'm asked those questions about them. But notice here that Peter doesn't start at the bottom of the food chain with pastors. He goes all the way to the top. He's a man accredited by God to you. In other words, if you're looking for accreditation, if you're looking for credentials in Jesus, he's got them. God gives him his accreditation. God gives him his, uh, the description of who he is and what he does and what he's about. Uh, Peter, though, lays out the evidence not only to say he's accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs. Not only is, did God sanction him as Messiah, but look at the evidence. Look at the miracles. You saw them. You witnessed them. Look at the signs. You witnessed it. Look at the wonders you saw and experienced. The wonders that Jesus was alive. He was here. In your presence, you witnessed that. I wonder if that could be said of you and me. I wonder if you and I are accredited to this world by the witness in the hand of God. And I wonder if they see in us enough signs, enough, enough performance, enough, if you will, of, of him in us to say, something different about them. Can't really put my finger on it, but there's something different about them. There's something, they're driven by a different, they're, they're driven by a different motive than I am. They're, they're, they want different things out of life than I do. They, they parent different than I do. They do different, different things with money than I do. They see this world through a different lens. Than I, there's something different about them. I wonder if that accreditation is the Holy Spirit in us and through us to others. And I wonder if there are enough, enough signs, enough evidence uh, that he is in us and living through us. Um, if that's the case, then we should love well. We should serve tirelessly. We should be influential and have an influential, growing relationship with Jesus. To put it in a cross point vernacular, we should be authentic, we should be biblical, and we should be contagious. We should be those things in front of others because that's who God is. That's what he wants them to see, not only out of us, but out of our church as well. Uh, I wonder if, if our walk is one of credibility. Secondly, Peter's story was not only one of credibility, it was one of truth. Look at verse 23. He says, This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to a cross. He was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan. Now, how do you suppose Peter knew this? How do you suppose? In fact, every other time we see Peter in the Gospels, about every time he opens his mouth, one of these goes in. 
How do you think he had such wisdom here in this moment to say, this is by God's deliberate plan that this happened. You didn't put him to death on your own. God planned for you to do that. I think it's because Peter became, his walk became a full circle walk. In other words, he had seen enough that he didn't understand. Can you imagine the conversation just a few week or so earlier of, you're going to tear this temple down and in three days it's going to be raised again. I'm going to raise it up in three days. Teaching at the temple, Jesus. Can you imagine the 12, and Peter questions him about this. Can you imagine the 12's, what in the world is he talking about? He's talking about his death, burial, and resurrection. And Peter came, he came full circle about that when he saw all this occurring. That's what he was talking about in raising the temple up in three days. Can you imagine Peter's three denials walking away from God in his most desperate moment and coming full circle by the seashore a few days later to say, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Peter's walk became a full circle walk because he saw the things he didn't understand and fell into the holes and pits that he shouldn't have fallen into, but grew out of those things to understand greater, to, 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 to redeem himself from the pit, to say, ah, that day makes sense today. That day points to this day and makes sense together. It was, uh, it was a part of God's design that all these things occur, a part of, it, of God's epic story. And Peter saw all of that unfolding. And then he wades even deeper into truth to say, and you guys are a part of the epic plan. I'm putting words, I'm paraphrasing here, but you're the ones who put him to death. And you were a part of God's plan. You didn't do that by accident. It was God's plan that you put Jesus to death. Even before creation, that God sent Jesus to redeem people from their sins. And you're a part of that plan in putting him to death. I imagine as Peter, as bold as he is, starts pointing fingers and pointing that out, Y'all start dropping to say, you kidding me. I didn't, I didn't see that. I, I, I could never have seen that ahead of time, that God would, even, would use our, our disobedience, our hatred, our, our fear, our anxiety to put the Son of God to death. I, mean, I think Peter's clearly, clearly trying to say to them here, God has an epic design for everything, for everything, for every step you take, every prayer you pray, every relationship you have. He has an epic design for what Jesus experienced in the death, burial, and resurrection of the, of the Son of God. He had an epic design for what Peter experienced in, in, in his notoriously mistaken and pit-filled walk with God, coming, com, coming full circle here to stand up at Pentecost and declare truth the way he did. He had an epic design for that story being told at Pentecost. He has an epic design for our reading it today, and you're hearing it from my lips today. He designs all of that. It's a part of his epic story. I want you to see the nature of how he works because... He not only is at work around us, but wants to be at work through us as well. That's all intentional. It's all designed by God as a way of getting the truth to us about himself, about the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. It was a credible story. It was one of truth. But thirdly, Peter's story was of victorious hope. Look at verse 24. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because, watch this, it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. It was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. The end of the story for every person sitting in this room is death. Great news, right? Unless, unless there's a point in which you've seen this gospel story, believe it by faith, trusted him as your Savior and Lord, you'll never experience the second, what the scripture describes as the second death. 
Your body will physically die, but your spirit never will if you know Christ as your Savior. That's, that, that reality, I think, is what Peter's trying to get across to say. Death couldn't keep him, couldn't hold him. And we have that same victory. Unless we know the one who broke the chains of death, who was victorious over death, who himself became the conqueror of death, who spits in the eye of death, who says uh, this about death in Romans, I'm sorry, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, says, death has been swallowed up in victory. We sung this just a moment ago. Where, O oh death, is your sting? Where the sting of death is, where death, O oh death, is your victory? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But watch this. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You and I have victory over death because he did. And we stand today as victorious over that. As, as real as death is, we need not be reminded of it even by those around us uh, that, that die, that are family and friends, but to know that it's coming for us. Uh, any closet or public fans of, of Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? The movie started to play that score for you today. See it? There's Ralph Stanley. There's a, there's a song in, in that movie that Ralph Stanley sings called Oh Death. It's the most dreadful sounding song I've ever heard about a dreadful thing, of course. I'm, I'm sure that's why he sings it that way, but it's Oh, oh You know, it's the most, you just want to, or I do, I just want to, come on, really. And it, I, think it's, I think he does that by design to paint a picture for us of the gruesomeness and awfulness of death, unless, unless we know Christ as our Savior. We're victorious over that which takes everybody else to the grave and keeps him in the grave. We can walk in victory today if you know Jesus as your Savior. Death has no grip over you if you know Christ as your Savior. Please don't leave this place today without him. I'll tell you more about that in a moment. But regardless of our circumstance, you and I can walk in victory today because we know the victor. We know the one who has been victorious over death, and it's no threat to us. Our hope is in the one who, de who defeated death once for all. He did then. He does now, and he will again at the, at, the, at the second death, and we'll talk more about that in just a second as well. But he was victorious over death because of that. It should be no threat to you and I who know him. We should live and walk in victory because death is no threat to us. Finally, Peter's story was one of credibility. It was one of great truth. It was one of victorious hope. It was also one of eternal hope, eternal hope. Look at 26 and 27. Therefore, my heart is glad, and my tongue rejoices, and my body will also rest in hope because... You will not abandon me to the grave. You will not let your Holy One see decay. My body will rest in hope because you will not abandon me. I think both Peter and David here, this is the reference of, of things David wrote in the Psalms. Peter's reminding them of that. This, this reference that, that, that hope springs eternal, I think is an intentional reference that both of them are trying to make, referring to hope that we'll have in a glorified body when you and I stand face to face with Jesus and our body is perfect and sinless and, and no more cancer, no more Parkinson's, no more whatever else ails you, no more high blood pressure, no more. We'll have a perfect and sinless and, per and perfectly clean and holy body as we stand before him. That's the kind of hope I think that he's talking about it being eternal. I think it's interesting that David describes uh, the knowledge of that hope as something that we can rest in, find a place of rest in. I think it's interesting because you and I are in a world that desperately needs to see the hope of God in us and through us. It is 
the most un-at-rest un world. In fact, if you've watched TV the last uh, 24 hours, you've seen this story, likely, of the shooting at Columbine, regurgitated that was 20 years ago. Uh, and we, those are brought into our reminders, into our consciousness, to, to I think, to remind us of the, the, the stark reality that we live in a broken world, full of broken people. And why we expect something beyond brokenness, I'll never know, because we're not designed to fit in here. This is a broken place full of broken people. But it's not designed to stay that way. He gives us an eternal hope beyond the sting of death, as he said just a moment ago. Listen to how, how the Hebrew writer puts this in Hebrews 6, verses 17 to 20. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. Watch this. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered our, on our behalf. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, a place to rest, a place to find a place of peace, he says there. Uh, so, are you able to rest in hope, in the assurance of your salvation, in the assurance of the victory that the grave is not the end for you, or do you share in the anxiety of our culture that puts those kind of stories over and over again across the, the lens of our life to say, this is what life looks like, this is what life is, and it isn't, and it shouldn't, and you and I shouldn't be drawn up into that. Knowing that he's alive today, points us to an empty tomb and these stories that we've looked at over these last two or three weeks, story of promise that John the Baptist gave us, of incredible promise, a story of, of great love that, that Paul painted for us last week, and a story that Peter paints for us today of, of great hope, hope not in the possibility that, possibility that eternal life might be there for us, but rather hope in the certainty of the resurrection, in the certainty of his return and in the certainty that forever really does mean forever. When you, you and I can rest in those certainties, we can live with great hope. The end of this epic story is that death loses and Jesus wins. That's what Peter has to say to, to the folks at Pentecost and this story in Acts 2 today. Death loses if you know Christ and Jesus wins. Now, it wasn't just Peter's story. It was, it's the story for all of us because ultimately at the end of the book, if you get to the end of the book and read at the end of Revelation chapter 20, you'll see what death is supposed to look like. In fact, it is endless and it is bottomless. And it is uh, in the bottomless, in, in, in the lake of fire, into the pit, the scripture says, that, that burns forever and ever. That's what death looks like. It's, it is ongoing. It, it is eternal. It's eternal death. And he paints that picture for us I think, in that passage, so that we'll go back here to say, but it doesn't have to be that way for you. And it doesn't have to be that way for our family and friends that we know without Christ. Because he won, we can win too. Because Jesus is victorious over death, we can be too. But I wonder today, as we wrap up this question, and I this, what about your story? I asked you earlier, what about, what's the soundtrack to your life look like? What does your story look like? Are you finding yourself coming to the end and say, what will the end of me be? What will the end of me? What will people say after, about me after I'm gone? 
What would the end of my journey look like? Hear this. If defeat describes you today, it doesn't have to stay that way. If failure looks like you today, that doesn't have to be the end of your story. You can leave defeat and failure in this place and walk out of here different. You can walk out of here different in a victorious and eternal sense of hope today. That is offered to you and I because we know the one who came out of the tomb, the one who conquered death, the one who says, I was victorious over death, and you can be and will be too, not just here, but in the next life. I wonder today as well if you're here with this question. Probably all of us have asked it early in childhood, at least in middle school and high school, and life is awkward. Maybe even as adults, where do I fit in? Where do I fit in? Is there any place where I actually fit in and feel like I belong? And that's the place God designed for me. I'm going to tell you where you fit in. You fit in at the cross. You fit in at a, at a tomb where the stone has been rolled away and there's no one in there. That's where you fit in because he says to you and I, all of that is all yours. All of me is all yours. All of this victory is offered to you. All of what happened at the cross covers all of your sin. That's where you and I fit in. We fit in at the cross. Each one of us do. I wonder today if that applies to you. I wonder today if hearing the gospel as Peter spells it out, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, the fact that he came just for that and just for you makes a difference today. It should. Please don't leave this place today without him. Please see a believer that you know could walk you through how to become a Christian or see, see Jerry or myself after worship. Don't leave today without him if you don't know him. If you're not leaving today with hope, no one's fault but yours. Because you, you can know the Jesus of hope. You can know the one who says, because I live again, you will too.